tonight we're going to kind of go back to the roots of this. You know, we the the basic um, scripture for this whole ministry has been Ephesians two fourteen to sixteen about how Yeshua in his flesh breaks down the partition between the two, making one new man. So as I like to say, there's not a Jewish body of Messiah and a Gentile of Messiah. There's one body of Messiah. People may worship differently over here and over there, and Jewish brothers and sisters may worship different over here than the people over here, but we're all in one body of Messiah. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians how, you know, he compares it to the parts of the body. And so that's why this scripture was the basis when we started, I don't know, almost seven years ago now. And the other one, which we're going to kind of take off from now, is John 5.39, where Yeshua says, all the scriptures testify of me. The scriptures, you know, you search the scriptures, these are they that testify of me. What he's really saying in the Greek is all those scrolls you have are really about me. And it, like I always say, it doesn't mean like a couple of verses here and a chapter over here and a chapter in this book and this book, well, not so much. It says all of it is about me. And so as you study Torah, I know everybody's probably in different sections of having studied Torah. I know you you all just did it, and I know Jan's been doing it forever. But if you if when you study Torah and Mary, when you study Torah, you see point to him. And we're gonna use one of my favorite examples tonight. And we're gonna go through it kind of quick. And again, I don't want to put up every scripture and I don't want to stand here for 40 minutes and read, but you should need to read this for your homework. You need to read this for your homework. I know y'all are studying the scriptures anyway and do them as study time, as devotional time and, you know, meditating on them. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of new interest in the tradition now where you read the passage of scripture and then you stop a short passage, you stop, you think about what it means, you pray about it, you meditate on it, you read it again, you pray about it, you meditate on it, you think about it, you read it again. And hard to do Bible in a year that way. <laughs> Good, Brad. Jordan's cracking up over there. But it's a powerful way to get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you, as um, Hank Hanegraaff and Alistair Begg always say. So, we're going to go over some scripture. Some of it's on the board. Some of it I'm going to read. But we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. Whoa. That's a long time ago. Genesis. Better sheets. Um, the Torah portion for tomorrow is actually about God telling Moses, go to Pharaoh and you know, come to Pharaoh and tell him. And um, so I got to thinking about that. I was going to talk about that, but... We're going to be doing that during Passover time, and we're going to be doing a Seder here, and we're going to be doing, I don't know how many Seder, five or six all over the place. And so we're going to save the sort of the Passover teaching till then, so we can go over the plagues in detail. But Genesis 37 is about Joseph, Yosef, Jacob's son, not Joseph, who's Mary's husband in <laughs> the New Testament. Now, come on, that was funny. But uh, Joseph, you know, Jacob had 12 sons. A bunch of them were with Rachel. I'm, I'm sorry, a bunch of them were with Leah, um, which, you know, he married two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Um, Rachel was the beautiful one that he really wanted, but he got tricked and he married Leah, who the Bible says, basically wasn't very beautiful. So when I used to do the Torah study, I didn't do it so much in this last one because I didn't want, there were people there I didn't know and I didn't want to think I was weird. But I always used to say, Rachel was the beautiful one and Leah was the ugly one. But, <laughs> but anyway, but Leah gave birth to Judah, 
Yehuda, who of course is the ancestor of Messiah. Because of course Yeshua is from the tribe of Judah. So he is descended. So Yeshua is descended from Leah, not from Rachel. But Jacob has the 12 sons. I was surprised to find out years ago when I studied Torah, not only from Leah and Rachel, but from two other slave women. So, you know, 12 boys from four different sources, same father, four different women. But we're going to talk about Joseph, Yosef. He is Rachel's son. Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Cared that much for the two slave girls. Um, one was Leah's slave and one was Rachel's slave, but managed to have a bunch of boys with, with the two of them. But Joseph was his favorite, as you know. And he made him a coat of many colors. It even got to be a Broadway show or a musical, whatever it was. Joseph and the Technicolor coats, coat. And so the other boys didn't like Joseph. Now, I hope you all know the story. So we don't have to read all the story in detail. But of course, it was because of Joseph and because of a famine in Cana, Canaan, that they ended up going to Egypt near the end of Genesis. And so Exodus starts with, okay, now we gotta get out of Egypt, which we'll talk about at Passover. So his brothers didn't like him and they got, they were pretty nasty about it. In fact, they didn't even, talk to him. And so when he came, you know, downstairs for breakfast, he had to sit in the corner and eat his Cheerios because the other guys wouldn't talk to him. And it was pretty bad. And um, in um, 37 verse 3, now Israel, meaning Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. I mean, this was like the ultimate sibling rivalry, except that he had 11 brothers to deal with, not like one or two. And then we know that he has dreams and we find out he has two major dreams in one dream we're not going to read all this in one dream he has a he sees sheaves of grain that are all circling around a sheath that was in the center and the ones in the circle were bowing down to the ones in the center and he basically tells his brother the sheath in the sheath in the center is me and all y'all are going to be bowing down to me someday. Which gets fulfilled later on in Genesis, as you know, when they're in Egypt. That didn't endear him to them anymore. The sheaths of grain, they're in the fields. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now, as we go through this, I want you to think, how is Joseph a type of Yeshua, the Messiah? The Old Testament, the, the Torah especially, is full of types, prefigurements of Messiah. You know, the blood atonement is probably the most dramatic because so much of the Torah is about blood. And that's why people don't like to read it. And this is why, you know, we always say Leviticus is the tar pit of the Bible because people don't like to read about all that blood. But the reason there's all that blood is that sin has to be dealt with. And sin is messy business. Sin is disgusting business. And all that blood points to the blood of the perfect sacrifice of Yeshua on the cross. Right? The writer to the Hebrews says the the blood of bulls and goats has no power to take away sin. 
but it prefigures the true capital T blood, capital B, that does have the power to take away sin and does take away sin. So his brothers said, are you going to reign over us? You're the king of the Jews? I doubt it. Dude, you're a mess. And these guys that are following you around, they're even more of a mess than you are. You're going to reign over us? I don't think so. Keep that in mind. Then he has another dream that um, the sun and the moon and the stars are all worshiping him and all bowing down to him. And even his father and his mother get upset with him. Even Jacob gets upset with him. And he's his favorite one. We're just going through this quickly. Take the Torah class to learn all the details. And his brothers get more upset. But he's still he's very obedient to his father, even though his father is upset with him. He's obedient to his father. I only do what I hear him. I only do what I, he wants me to do. I only say what I hear him say. I only do what he wants me to do. Does the father get angry with Jesus? Well, not really angry, but as we know, on the day of the crucifixion, when every sin of the world is placed on him, there's a brief time that the father has to look away because God cannot look on sin. So we're going to get to that. Still obedient. So the father sends them out to see what his brothers are doing out in the field because they're tending flocks. They're shepherds. So the father sends the favorite son, in this case, not the only son, but the favorite son out to see what the shepherds are doing. Okay, the religious leaders of Israel who were, wore all the cool stuff, they were supposed to be shepherding their people. They were supposed to be people. You know, some people like Nicodemus had the title, teacher of Israel. And Yeshua says in John 3, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand what I'm telling you? No, because they understood the letter of the law, as he puts it. And they wore all the cool stuff. And they set themselves apart from everybody. These brothers had set themselves apart from Joseph. The father says, go out and see how they're doing with the flocks. So the brothers conspire against him. I'm summarizing the story here. They conspire against him. The main big mouth is Judah. Yehuda. Judah wants to kill the brother. He becomes the ancestor of Yeshua. Joseph, who's the nice one of the bunch, and Benjamin, who's the nice one of the bunch, they don't get to be his ancestor of the Messiah, but Judah does. But that's not for us to figure out because God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Amen? Amen. So interestingly, Judas, who we all hear about at... Uh, Holy Week, Good Friday, Resurrection Day time. His name was actually Judah. His name was actually Yehuda. I don't know why it was translated as Judas, but he had the same name as the ancestor of Jesus. He had the same name of the man who was going to be the father of the royalty, of the kings, the government, the scepter. Read Genesis 49 for your homework. When Jacob's about to die and he blesses all the boys, and he comes to Judah and says, you're going to be a lion. You're going to eat your prey. You're going to roar like a lion. You're going to have dominion. Everybody else is going to worship you, and you're going to have the scepter. Woo! So they're the governing tribe. And, of course, Yeshua is the lion of Judah. He's the son of David. He's the king of kings. He has the ultimate scepter. Doesn't compare to the other scepters. So interestingly, Judas, who's Judah, condemns, betrays the Messiah. Same name as the ancestor. Because they all turned on him. His brethren didn't want him. This is not the kind of Messiah we're looking for. 
We don't care about sin and stuff. We care about power. When Messiah comes, he's going to be power. He's going to set this kingdom up. And that's just how it's going to be. So Judah says, let's kill the dreamer. He says, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill the dreamer and see what becomes of his dreams. I really want you to read all this. Kill him. Kill him. He's ready to kill his own brother. Because he doesn't like what his brother said. Doesn't like that he's the father's favorite one. Doesn't like that his brother said, you guys are all going to bow down to me at some point. Wants to kill him. Now picture this. The other 11, well, actually there's, well, I can't remember now if Benjamin's been born yet or not. Because Benjamin, of course, is much younger. Because in Egypt, Joseph's never seen Benjamin. But anyway, but let's say there's at least 10 of the brothers there. Maybe there was 11. Joseph comes walking there by himself. You know, it's like Yeshua coming to the Sanhedrin. Let's kill him. The only way to deal with this guy is we got to kill him. We don't want to step on Pilate's pavement here because we don't want to defile ourselves, but we want this guy killed. We don't want to kill him, as we're going to see. So we're going to have those Gentiles kill him. And we're clean. We haven't violated the law. Because when you live in legalism... You have to justify everything that you do, right? Can't step on Pilate's pavement, but I can have this guy killed. You know, I don't want to, you know, eat the wrong thing, but I want this guy killed. You know, in the New Covenant, that doesn't make much sense, but it's legalism. So he needs to be killed. So they throw him in a cistern. You know, it's a rock that's dug out to catch rainwater. Out in the field with the sheep, the shepherds throw this one guy, the father's favorite, into the cistern. It says, then they sat down and ate. So we're going to kill our brother, throw him in the cistern. What's for lunch? What do you guys have? They don't have the law yet, so we don't know what they were eating, but he... Probably roughly the dietary laws. They ate lunch. That's how concerned they were about their brother. What do you think those guys did the afternoon of Good Friday, which was, you know, Passover, the day before a high Shabbat? Oh, good. He's dead. Let's go home and get ready to eat. Let's go home and there's no blood on my hands, but let's go home and, you know, wash up and have some dinner. We'll light the candles and we'll do the Shabbat thing. Hey, we got rid of this troublemaker. So the brothers threw him in the hole and they sat down and ate. Cool? It's powerful or no? Get it? Get it? So then, you know, Reuben, who of course has the sandwich named after him, because he sets up the first Jewish deli. First Jewish deli. And See, unless you understand the ancient languages, you don't get that part. But he opens the first deli, so that's why he has a sandwich named after him. Jordan's laughing, everybody. You can't see him. but So Reuben says, hey, wait a minute. You know, he's our brother after all. You know, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should get him out of this hole. And then they see the Midianites going by. And Judah, Mr. Holy, I'm the ancestor of the Messiah, says, hey, why should this go to waste? Why don't we sell them to those guys? So they sold their brother for silver pieces. For silver pieces. Not for gold, not for you know wheat, not for donuts, not whatever commodity they had. Pieces of silver. 20 in this case, not 30, like with Judas and Yeshua, but sold them for pieces of silver. They gave them over to the Gentiles and got silver for it. What did those guys do at the temple? They gave them over to the Gentiles 
and they paid one of their own people to do it. Here they directly sold their brother, got the pieces of silver. We can't kill him, but these filthy, unclean, uncircumcised, disgusting Gentiles can get rid of him for us. The Romans were filthy, disgusting pagans who brutalized the people there, oppressed everybody in the land, collected their taxes, had no desire whatsoever to know what these people were doing. You want this guy killed? Hey, you know what? We hate being stationed here. This will be entertaining. We'll have some fun for a few hours. Sure, we'll do it. Don't worry. You don't even have to give us anything. We'll just do it. Gave them over to these filthy pagans to kill the Messiah. So he's given over to Gentiles. So they kill, they sell a brother who was sent to them. Yeshua's the brother of the people. Remember when David was presented as king? Everybody said, he's bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. When Adam saw Eve, he said, oh, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That was before he said, that woman you put here, she made me do it. And men have been saying that ever since, pretty much. So they kill a brother that was sent to them. He's rejected and he suffers. Can you imagine? He's like, he's thought to be about 16 at this time, Joseph. Gets thrown on some kind of camel or maybe made him walk to Egypt to be a slave, to sell him. So, you know the story. Potiphar, who's head of the Pharaoh's personal guard, buys Joseph. Everything in Potiphar's house thrives because Joseph is there. His wife brings this false accusation on him. He tried to take advantage of me, throw him in a pit, gets thrown in another dungeon, interprets a couple of dreams. Pharaoh interprets Pharaoh's dreams. You got to read this for your homework. We'll talk about this at Passover. This is part of the narrative. But Pharaoh is so excited that he comes up with a plan to save the people in Egypt from the famine that's coming. For seven years, there's going to be plenty of food. So here's what y'all do. You build warehouses. And during the years of plenty, you store food. Then when the famine comes, you got food. And everybody said, why didn't we think of that? So he gets promoted to be governor of Egypt. It says in the text in chapter 41 that no one could move a hand or a foot in Egypt without Joseph's permission. Woo! And he wasn't even an Egyptian. He had been a slave and a prisoner in some filthy, horrible dungeon somewhere. So then he goes before Pharaoh and becomes governor. So he sits at the right hand of Pharaoh. Nobody has more power in Egypt except Pharaoh, who, of course, at this time, this is the height of the Egyptian empire. Pharaoh's the most powerful man in the world. Joseph's at his right hand. Right hand. Sound familiar? Yes. Am I the only one who thinks this is awesome? Right hand. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says, you do. Woo! People live in a famine of sin, a sickening place. We live in a garbage dump. We live in a garbage dump. I don't care if you live in Beverly Hills or you live in the actual garbage dumps that we used to go to all the time in Mexico. We live in a garbage dump. I don't care how clean your house is, how many times you take a shower. You're filthy. We live in a garbage dump. 
We're famished. And now, even the words that God says to Amos, Amos the prophet, have come true. There's a famine of the word in the world. Not bread and water, famine of the word. People don't even know the word. People don't care to know the word. You know, say a little prayer in the morning, a little prayer at night. Go to church, you know, Sunday morning, do a little music, hear a nice, you know, uplifting sermon, go out to eat, go home, take a nap. That's American Christianity in the 21st century, right? Nobody knows the scriptures. Church leaders don't know what's in the Bible, like we were talking about the other night. It's unbelievable. So there's a famine, and people cry out to the king. Oh, God, what can I do? I'm sick of living like this. Go to Joseph. Go to Jesus. Go Come, come to Yeshua, whatever he says you do. Wedding feast at Cana. His mother Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. Here, go to Joseph. Do whatever he tells you to do. He'll get you out of the famine because he knows where the food is. When we preach the gospel, what are we doing? We're beggars telling another beggar where the food is. We're not telling them where the food is because we're so awesome. You know, we're, we were in the same position they are. Now we know where the bread is. Hey, it's over here. You don't want to live like this anymore. We saw drug lords in Mexico who almost kidnapped our daughter throw their guns down on the floor, repent of their sins while they were just weeping and came to Jesus right right in front of our eyes. Never saw anything like it. They were going to kidnap my daughter, and 20 minutes later, they gave their lives to Christ. In the middle of this disgusting place, they had guns. I mean, it's really something to see. But what happens here? Well, I don't want to go church today. It's raining. I don't, I'm too tired to say any prayers today. I think I'll watch a movie. Sunday, man, I need to relax. I worked all week. Or Saturday morning, depending. <laughs> so go to Joseph. So in Genesis 43, of course, the brothers end up bowing down to Joseph. They don't know yet who he is. Why? Because he looks like a Gentile. They haven't seen him in maybe 20 years. They know, he's, they know he was alive, told his father he was dead. Father thought he was dead all this time. He's dressed like an Egyptian. It says in the text that he spoke Egyptian and had an interpreter tell his brothers what he was saying. How does that apply to us today? Because Jews don't come to Yeshua because they think he's some kind of Gentile God, some kind of God that the little G, that the Gentiles have set up. He doesn't look like us. He doesn't talk like us. Those churches aren't like us. He's for, this is all foreign stuff. They didn't recognize Joseph because he looked like an Egyptian. They don't recognize Yeshua as their brother and their Messiah because it's all been so convoluted with Gentiles. And no Gentile can explain to them from the Hebrew scripture why this is their Messiah. Right? You know, Paul tells Timothy, you've studied the scripture since you were an infant. What scriptures did he have? The Old Testament. The people in Berea, not the one over here, the other one. The people in Berea, oh, come on, that was kind of funny. The people in Berea said, we're going to check everything you say against the scriptures. What scriptures did they have? The Old Testament. It's all they had. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. 
What scripture is he talking about? The Old Testament was. So eventually the brothers bow down to him and he gives them food. We live in a famine. We say to God, what am I supposed to do? I, I hate my life. I don't want to live like this anymore. This is horrible. I want to do something new. He says, talk to Joseph. Talk to my real son. Talk to my only begotten son. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He will get you out of the famine by providing everything that you need. Not in the Joel Osteen sense, <laughs> but in a sense of your spiritual needs. You may not be rich. Your disease may not be healed. Because guess what? Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Not everybody's rich. Boy, Jesus never said to Peter, oh, Peter, now that you made this confession, of faith, you're going to have it made now. Wait till you see the house. Wait till you see all the cars you're going to get. No, you're going to die in a horrible way. So he provides for his brothers. Soon all Israel is going to be saved, as Paul tells us in Romans 11. He's going to provide for them. He's already providing for them. They're regathered in the land. Haaretz Israel, which didn't exist politically until May 14th of 1948, after 1,800 and some years in exile, in diaspora. Now they're there. Number of believers growing by the day. Soon, we're going to get to a passage that's going to be fulfilled soon. I hope it's today. Even tomorrow's okay. So he provides food. So in Genesis 45, he reveals himself to his brothers and says, come to me. At some point, Yeshua was going to reveal himself to his brothers. We already know him. We've already come to him. We've already said, oh, we know who you are. We know, we don't care what you're wearing. We know who you are. And he says, come to me and I'm going to take care of your problems. I'm going to get rid of your sin. That's your problem. Your problem is sin. Your problem is not the taxes. Your problem is not the fact that you're not happy at your job. The problem is not the fact that your kid was bad at school. The problem is your sin. That's what I'm going to take care of. As he tells Nicodemus. So when he reveals himself to his brother, he, they, he says, come near to me. And speaks to them so that they understand him. Everybody has to leave because he's crying so, so hard. All the Egyptians heard Joseph crying as he's standing there with his brothers. He, he couldn't even take it. Come to me. The brothers are scared, of course. Uh-oh. Now we're going to get it. We sold him 20 years ago. Now, do you ever think in John 21 where Yeshua takes Peter and they go for a walk on the beach? I always like to think Peter's thinking, oh boy, here we go. Now I'm going to hear about the three denials. Now I'm going to hear what my punishment's going to be. Yeshua never mentions it. Never mentions his denials. All he asks them is, do you love me? That's all he asks them. Doesn't say, have you been saying your prayers? Have you been going to church? Oh, no, wait. Have you been going to the synagogue every week? Are you studying the Torah? No, he says, do you love me? It's the only thing he asks them. How much time do you spend meditating, Simon? He calls him Simon to bring him down a couple of notches. He's not Peter, Simon. You've been meditating. You've been reflecting. Says, do you love me? And Peter answers wrong. And then Jesus comes down to his level and says, okay, now we can work. But we'll get into that some other time. Joseph says, God sent me to preserve life. They were saved from the famine that was in the land of Canaan by going to Egypt. 
says, you guys meant this for evil. God meant this for good. You mistreated me. You meant it for evil. Those holy guys with all that stuff on, they meant this for evil, the cross. God meant it for good. as the only way to salvation. Only way. You're not going to hear that in the world anymore. You're going to be called narrow-minded. You're going to be called stupid. You're going to be, you're going to have people rolling their eyes. You're going to have people saying, I'm a good person. The God I believe in doesn't do stuff like you're saying, right? You've all heard that. Come on, man. That's like 2,000 years ago thinking. You better get with it, right? Joseph says, God sent me to preserve life. Yeshua says, the Father sent me. I'm here so you can have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. You guys are a bunch of sorry sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I was sent here to preserve life, eternal life. So you don't have a godless eternity in hell like the people who don't know me are going to have. And that's the bleak truth. There's no gray area. It's black or white. Well, I kind of believe in them. Well, I don't know. But I like to do all this other stuff, too. You know, how do I know? You know, like in Mexico, they used to tell us, well, you know, this other God's got lots of power. I mean, Jesus got a lot of power, but so does this guy. You know, but I got to cover my bases because how do I know? You know, what if I get this guy upset? Jesus is loving everything, so he'll probably won't be mad at me, but I got to keep this other. No, he's the only way. So he says, he sent me to preserve life so that you may have it more abundantly. Zechariah 12, 10. Go home and read this over about 20 times. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. What's happening here? He's talking about people in the house of David. He's talking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The Spirit's going to be poured out on them. And what is it? It's grace. It's not, oh, here's more law. You, got, you only got 613, but more here. We're going to add to the bunch. No, it's a spirit of grace and supplication. You're going to repent. You're going to humble yourself. You're not going to walk around with the big thing on saying, I keep all the law, and those schmucks over there, they don't. Your master doesn't keep the Sabbath. <laughs> and you're following him? He's from Galilee for crying out loud. Of course, you yahoos follow him. You guys don't know anything. No, supplication. They're going to go, ah, oh, ah. Oh. They're going to look on him whom they've pierced. Yes, this was partly fulfilled the day of crucifixion because it tells us that in the gospel. The soldier puts his lance in the side, blood and water come out, and it says it fulfills, they looked on him whom they have pierced. But this is different. This is the city of Jerusalem. This is the house of David. And they're going to mourn like he mourned for an only son. This is their only son. There is one God, right? We just said the Shema. The Shema can never be violated, right? There is one God. But what's going to happen is their only begotten son of God is their Messiah, and they're going to realize it. And they're going to mourn like, oh, for 2,000 years we've missed this. Ah, it's going to happen all at once. It's a bittersweet moment. If you read the verses that come after this, it says people are happy, but, but there's also people crying and there's people grieving privately in their own houses. We missed the Messiah until today. They thought Joseph was dead. You know, 
I talk to people at the Western Wall. They say, oh, you know what, that Yeshua, well, they don't call him Yeshua. They won't say his name, but they call him by a blasphemous name that I'm not going to repeat and never will. Oh, they killed him. They buried him, and that was the end of him. Yeah, we got rid of Joseph. We don't talk about Joseph anymore. I'm Joseph. Come to me. I'm Yeshua. Come to me. You guys killed me, but hey, that's what I that's why I came. I came for salvation. Now come to me. I'll give you all this provision. Can you imagine the weeping that's gonna go on? So they didn't the boys didn't send him to Egypt. God sent him to Egypt. Right? To set all this up. And to set up Passover. To set up the blood, being under the blood. You're not in the curse. You don't have the blood, you're in the curse. How much more straightforward could it be? God made him Lord of Pharaoh's house. He ruled the land. Gabriel says to Mary, this son that you're going to conceive is going to sit on the throne of his father David forever. He's going to rule forever. Not just Egypt. He's going to rule every place forever. And he says to the brothers, come to me now. Don't wait anymore. Come to me now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. Right? Oh, I'll worry about that later. Oh, when I'm on my deathbed, you know, I'll repent. Well, maybe your deathbed is going to be, I feel weird. Boom. You don't know. Come and dwell in the best part of the land, the land of Goshen, the best part of the land. Come and live here. You'll be near to me here. Come to me and stay with me. I'll be near to you. Wherever two or three of you are gathered, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to send the spirit of truth who's going to live in you. In you. Can't get any closer than that. In you. He wrote the book. We don't care about the book anymore. We care about Fox and CNN and any number of people that stand there talking about whatever. That's who we care about. We don't care about your book. Well, he wrote the book. Lives inside of you. You're going to be near to me. I'll provide everything. Joseph says, you're going to live here. I'll be with you. I'm going to provide everything that you need. How cool is that? And he says, it's my mouth that speaks to you. You haven't seen me in 20 years or 25 years, whatever it was. I don't know exactly. doesn't matter. But let's say it's 25 years. Now, this is my mouth telling you these things. We had human Jesus of Nazareth telling us these things. Wrote it down in the book. We don't care about the book anymore. Because now we've evolved. The church has even evolved. We'll put up rainbow flags and we'll get some better musicians and we'll just have a nice get-together. Everybody can come. Come as you are and stay as you are. Nowhere in that book does it say, come as you are and stay as you are. It says, I'm gonna, you catch the fish, I'll clean them. As we were talking about the other night. thought that was great. I can't remember who said that, but that was great. You know, we catch the fish, he cleans them. But he says, out of my mouth. So we have human Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, telling us God's word through the mouth of a human man so that we can understand it. Remember at Mount Sinai, they said, we can't handle this. We can't deal with this. And God says, you're right, you can't. But now through the voice of a man, you're going to hear my word. You're going to see my glory. Colossians chapter 1. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus of Nazareth. That's his glory. That's the whole glory of God is in Jesus of Nazareth that Moses couldn't see. The people who lived with him saw it. We've never seen him, but we're connected to it. And then he weeps over his brothers. He doesn't just get teary-eyed. Joseph weeps over his brothers. 
the Egyptians who were three blocks away heard him crying. Yeshua wept over the city. I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you're not willing. And he says, because you didn't recognize me, this land's going to be left to you desolate. Then say, oh, it's okay. Maybe some of you will follow Buddha instead. That's okay. Maybe some of you will keep the law better. Great. No, he says, you don't recognize me? Desolate. So, Jacob's blessing, and I think this is the end. Judah's going to be praised by his brothers. Now, they only know the creep, Judah. But we know what Jacob's getting at, getting at Yeshua, who's his descendant. He's the lion of Judah. He has the scepter, which he's never going to give up, ever. Judah gave up the scepter after the Babylonian exile. There were no more kings. He's going to have the obedience of the people. It says that Judah's going to wash his garments in wine, the blood of grapes. How much more of a powerful prophecy can you hear? Wash your clothes in blood. Because that's what's going to happen to Yeshua. You'll be washed in blood. But we're washed in his blood. Can I get an amen? Woo! So he did the suffering. We get the salvation. Can I get an amen? Woo! And then Joseph, to finish up, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You guys wanted to kill the Messiah because you didn't like him. In fact, you hated him because he threatened your jobs. He threatened your whole establishment. He threatened your whole church bureaucracy. So you wanted to get rid of him. Well, you were doing that. It was evil. But guess what? It happened so that many people can be made alive. Many people can be saved. So summary, Joseph, favorite son. He was a shepherd, like they all were. Yeshua was the good shepherd. Both spent time in Egypt. We don't know how long Mary, Joseph, and little Jesus were there, but they both spent time in Egypt. Both had a mission to save Israel. Joseph physically saved him with bread. Yeshua brought real salvation. The brothers didn't believe. Didn't believe Joseph, didn't believe Yeshua. They still don't. His brothers still don't believe for the most part. But there's more and more coming. Woo! Especially since the pandemic. I, I loved COVID. It's, it was such an exciting time. The brothers hated Joseph and they hated Yeshua. Hated him. This is interesting through the whole Gospels. You see, like, every, every place he goes, there's like some Pharisee watching what they're doing. and Because they were like the Inquisition of the time. Oh, there's a bunch of guys over there. I don't think we're keeping the law. We better go over there and see what's going on. <clears throat> and both sets of brothers plot to kill them. Joseph sold by Judah to Gentiles. Yeshua sold by Judah to Gentiles. Both were stripped of their garments. You can read all the details when you read it for your homework. Joseph's tunic was dipped in goat's blood, like Yom Kippur. He becomes the type of Messiah. Clothing is full of blood. Can you even believe this? The rabbis taught that Jacob learned of Joseph's death on what we would say Yom Kippur. They didn't have Yom Kippur yet because they hadn't been given the law. Goat's blood, Yom Kippur, 
Joseph's dead. And then later, of course, it would lead to the scapegoat. So the offense is put on the goat that's sacrificed. Your offenses are put on the lamb that's sacrificed. Your offenses are put on the bull that's sacrificed. John the Baptist, otherwise known as Yochanan the Immerser, says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Both are raised out of a pit. Both are tested and overcame temptation. Jesus, of course, in the wilderness directly from Satan. Joseph, Potiphar's wife. They both overcome temptation. They're both falsely accused, both imprisoned. Both become important at age 30. Joseph becomes governor. David becomes king. The Levitical priests come to the height of their priesthood when they're 30. And Yeshua starts his earthly ministry when he's 30. Not randomly. He didn't say, well, you know, I think when I'm, I'm 30 now, I, better, I should probably go do something else. All this is preordained. Both had people come to them for food. Israel saved because of Joseph. Salvation of the world comes through Yeshua. And of course, including Israel. With Joseph, the brothers bow down to him. With Yeshua, those same brothers will bow down to him when that passage in Zechariah is completely fulfilled. I hope it's tomorrow. Be great on Shabbat. That happened on a Shabbat. So the parallels. Gentiles accepted Joseph first. Then his brothers accepted him. Gentiles, for the most part, accepted Yeshua in pretty quick order. Then after the first, you know, 80, 90 years, the number of Jewish believers starts falling. Gentile believers starts going up exponentially. Same with Joseph. So for the most part, Gentiles accepted him first, but his brothers will soon because all Israel will be saved. Joseph's not recognized by his brothers. Yeshua's not recognized by his brothers now. Both are hidden messiahs. Both are hidden messiahs. The brothers thought Joseph was dead. Joseph thought that Yeshua has been dead all these 2,000 years. No problem with him anymore. Joseph revealed himself. Yeshua will reveal himself. So how's that for prefigurement and types? Prefigurements and types. The, the Torah, the prophets are full of types, foretellings, prophecies. He's the substance that everything pointed to. So that's little Joseph.